Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bet on Chicago. My name is Joe Christopoulos, and today's episode is presented by BetOnline.ag. And look, our partners at BetOnline, they continue to be the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. You can find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds in the NBA and NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. So what are you waiting for? It's super easy to get started. Head on over to the website today or use your mobile device and join and use the promo code believe b-l-e-a-v to receive a 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit that is only a bet online where the game starts ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for coming into the pod excited to have this guest on here he is with socks on 35th among many other endeavors that he likes to enjoy uh but he's here today to talk about some white socks with me is adam kaplan hello adam how are you hey joey how's it going man thank you for having me it's going good. Uh, as we're taping this right now on a Friday afternoon, the Chicago White Sox are going to take on the New York Yankees in a couple of hours. But we just got news that Lucas Giolito, which just placed on the COVID-19 list, so it looks like he's going to at least miss his next start or so. So just kind of getting that out of the way as we paint a picture of what the White Sox are going to be doing heading into the weekend and moving forward. Uh, let's keep it easy. Let's keep. Let's start it simple. White Sox are at 15 and 15 right now through 30 games. Uh, you know, I, honestly. Obviously, I think we can all agree that the team isn't exactly comprised of what we thought it was going to be. It's not quite whole right now. But what is your quick take on the 15 and 15 start for the White Sox? Uh, honestly, this is kind of what I feel like Sox fans should expect. We've basically we had one good year in 2005, and we spent our entire time just wallowing in second or third place, sometimes at the bottom. So, of course, when we have a little bit of success, we think the rebuild's finally gone good. We come out of the gate and just fall flat on our faces. <laughs> so, it's been a super thrilling start. I actually, I heard, I think, like, we're only really one game off our win total from last year. So, okay. surprisingly, we're still kind of on, the White Sox are still kind of on the same pace. But, man, this, even with all the injuries that the White Sox had last year, this year just feels like, uh, it, it it just it hasn't been as fun as I think many of us had hoped. At least not for me. Well, is it fair to say that there has been some fatigue from last year? Because seriously, it was just one injury after the other. I mean, this year, you know, when Eloy goes down, you know, it feels as catastrophic as it did last year. Even though he's only going to be out two months, and he's already saying he might be able to come back a little bit sooner. But when he went down, it's this it's this whole here we go again mentality for these White Sox. Mix in a what a seven game losing streak and a six game winning streak, and this has been a roller coaster, man. Oh, eight games. We lost eight games in a row. Oh, so God, forgive me. <laughs> you know, it's so it's weird. It's I wrote an article for Sox on thirty fifth um, this year about like the depth that the team has. So last year during the team's home opener, we started a guy named Nick Williams in yeah. left field. So at least this year with Pollock and Ingle healthy. The White Sox do have a respectable outfield they can start. Um, and it does feel like, when, you know, when Mankato was down for a little bit, Jake Berger at least felt like, okay, let's at least give him a shot. He feels like he deserves a chance to be here versus someone like, no offense to Nick Williams, but should not be, I don't even know if this even playing in like career or anything. So with this year, the team at least felt like it had depth to it, but it's, 
that depth also isn't performing. Doesn't feel like very many players are performing. And it's just been kind of aggravating. And hopefully it gets better. But at some point, I feel like Sox fans need to stop saying, well, once we get healthy, because maybe that won't happen. I mean, it's a long season, right? And we we all understand sports that, yeah, it's hard to have every single person 100% healthy, ready to roll, firing on all cylinders at all times. I think it's kind of more of – I'm kind of interested to see, and maybe we'll start off like this, you know, of the three guys right now, and maybe we can even throw a fourth guy in there. We've got Vaughn, we've got Aloy, and we've got Lance Lynn on the shelf right now. We've got Johnny Cueto in the minors. I don't know what he's exactly going to do. Maybe just give you a couple of fun starts in June. But out of Vaughn, well, it turns Lynn... Out probably start for Giolito, because... Well, there you go. Yeah, right, because we got Velasquez good. going tonight, and they're going to have to find someone for Giolito in a couple of days. Uh, in terms of Vaughn, Lynn, and Aloy, which one do you think probably has the bigger impact of when... He act that when that player does actually get back in the lineup, we are going to see a difference. So to me, Eloy is clearly three of three. I'm not personally as big on Eloy as some other people are. Um, to me, his role on the team kind of feels like it's the same as so many other people. He hits a lot of ground balls. He doesn't play defense particularly well. Um, Although, I mean, he plays better than like Andrew Vaughn or Gavin Sheets. And and he doesn't walk that great. And in theory, he should be hitting home runs. But since he came back from injury in 2021, he hasn't really been doing that either. So I know some people think that he's going to take a next step. I'm kind of dubious. I don't really view his injury as like that terrible per se. I mean, obviously someone like Eloy's like should be better than Adam Engel, like overall. Mm-hmm. But out of those three names you mentioned, to me, Eloy is three out of three. So then it's Lance Lynn versus Andrew Vaughn. And Andrew Vaughn has just been crushing the ball when healthy. I mean, even in AAA last night, he had two home runs. Um, and when he was in the majors, he was absolutely destroying it. Um Versus Lance Lynn, who I actually think personally is their best pitcher. Um, I thought that coming into the season, that's, you know, he may not obviously won't won't put up the numbers because he won't be healthy, but he had like a 2.69 ERA last year. He was third in Cy Young voting. He was incredible. But weirdly, like, I think the team misses, I'll answer Andrew Vaughn the most just because. They do have, I think, pretty good pitching, a pretty good pitching depth temporarily. But, man, that offense up until recently has just been struggling and I think really missed Andrew Vaughn's bat. Yeah, I was going to say they just haven't been scoring runs, obviously seven aside, um, you know, last night. And I think a little bit has to do probably with I want to hold out a little bit and have the benefit of the doubt with guys like Abreu and Grandal guys that Grandal obviously got off to a very slow start last year, was able to heat up, able to put up respectable numbers by the end of the year, nice-looking OBP and all that stuff. And I think we would like to believe that Jose Abreu is still going to turn it around. Um, You know, what are you buying and selling with Jose Abreu right now? Because there's a lot of advanced analytics out there that he's hitting the ball hard. Nothing really seems to be that different except for the results in the stat sheet. So Jose Abreu, I feel like, always gets off to a slow start. So in theory, I'm not that worried about it. 
But my concern is that he's basically my age now, obviously infinitely more athletic, but and, and infinitely better ball player. But Jose, but it's going to happen. The, he's, he's going to, he's it, one of these yeah. years, it's just going to stop being 30 and a hundred for him. I'm with you. And is it this year? Who knows? I, I personally kind of think it, it will be, um, but I guess it, it all depends on how I, I feel like if how you felt about a brave before the season began is how you should still feel about him. I just feel like there's not enough games. He's not, he hasn't completely fallen off a cliff offensively mm-hmm. defensively. I actually do think it's, it's gotten worse and I don't think that part's going to get better. Um, Offensively, I don't think it's going to be 30 and 100. But at the same time, Jose Abreu loves August. Jose Abreu loves it when the weather gets warmer. You know, if Jose Abreu hits 15 home runs in August or something, then I'm going to look super awesome. foolish. Yeah. <laughs> um, and again, yeah, you're right. Same with Grandown. They're trying to do best to make sure he doesn't catch as much. But even like with a slow start last year, he was walking more. I, again, I still believe in him, but. It, it's it's kind of been rough for everyone. And in, when you're talking about Jose Abreu still hitting the ball better, or like with that, uh, like all like expecting batting average and expected slugging and stuff, it is encouraging. But at the same time, I, with this dead ball that seems to be happening in Major League, it's possible this doesn't get better. It's possible the White Sox will have amazing expected statistics, which are based upon how the ball was hit in prior years. And this ball and the humidors that's been reported, it just may not hit. And the way that the team and offense is constructed, it's possible, and I'm super pessimistic. So I think it's going to happen that what was or should have been a good offense is just kind of going to flounder with all these new things happening with the ball and the humidors and such. Yeah, and it's going to be an interesting case because, yeah, this lineup is definitely built around the home run ball, especially at guaranteed rate. And as the weather warms up, you're expecting to start flying over the fence. Yeah, you're bringing up an interesting point about a Braves defense because, I mean, yeah, it's always been solid, right? I mean, he can pick it. Um, he sure does love uh, racing a guy to first base with a uh, with a fo- foot first slide that just terrifies the shit out of me uh, every single time he does it. But yeah, you're bringing up an interesting point because, I mean, can we kind of say between Grandal, Abreu, and Aloy, they kind of have three. DHs or at least guys with one foot in the DH door, you know what I mean, so to speak, and making Plus sure a player holds up there. And Sheets, yeah, Sheets is just the same. I mean, what? Yeah, he took one right off the chest uh, the other day uh, out there in right field. And I guess, yeah. So let's maybe let's funny here. I want to do the defense in just a moment. I just do want I want to continue with this dead ball thing that you're going on too as well because I'm trying to sort of wrap my head around a little bit about what's going on through the first 30 games of this season, not just in the White Sox, but around Major League Baseball, because I, and I'd love to hear your opinion on it. I think we all knew with the truncated spring training after the lockout that things were going to be different. I think people were worried about a lot of injuries that were related to not getting ramped up properly. I don't know if we exactly have seen that. I mean, we've seen some injuries with the White Sox for different reasons, and this all kind of relates to what we're going to get from Lynn when we come back. I have kind of noticed over the last week across baseball that we're seeing pitchers going a little bit deeper into games. We've seen a couple almost no-nos. We saw one no-no. Um, and I think we're starting to see arms come around. And I'm kind of curious what your take is on that 30 games into the season. You know, 
Do you believe that the truncated spring training has affected offense and pitching throughout baseball, maybe with the White Sox too as well? Or do you think that's maybe a little overstated and maybe more weather component, dead ball? I mean, what do you, what can you put your finger on with that? So with the White Sox in particular, I do think that the weaker back end of the rotation has been helped by the weather and the dead ball. Um, Vince Velasquez in particular, who's going to keep getting starts when players, players keep getting injured, um, has definitely been helped by the weather. There's definitely been some times where that you see a fly ball going and then it just dies at the warning track. Um, and Dallas Kotko, who I think is just a bad pitcher in general, I do think has been helped a little bit with his fly balls. But at the same time, I do think the with the weather getting warmer, we've seen it, you know, a very, very small sample size. But this past week, the White Sox have scored runs. That actually hasn't been the issue. They scored, I think it ended up being nine against the Guardians. It was 8-2 going into the ninth inning. They still put up seven runs against the Yankees. Both of them have been, you know, probably the warmest games of the year. Uh, and there's been home runs hit. Uh, I think in the game against the Guardians, both Pollock and Cheats hit three-run bombs. We just saw Mankata yeah. hit a three-run bomb. Two. Mankata's had one, yeah. Yeah, so I do think the weather is helping a little bit. Now, you're right. That Should that affect the other pitchers as well? And I don't think it'll be – I think – so someone like Lucas Giolito, for example, when he's healthy, he's a guy who has great strikeout numbers, but also players tend to hit the long ball against him pretty well. And I don't know that it's anything in particular is going to change from that. I just think that's who the pitcher Lucas Giolito is. Now, in theory, if the ball is dead in and there's these humidors, there's every now and then there's going to be some barrels that get hit that will end up going in his favor. I just think overall that's his game. And then, you know, we'll see with Lynn, obviously no one's seen him yet. And with Dylan Cease, I I don't I think he's up to his game and I don't think it has anything to do with the ball. I just think he's a better pitcher this year. So I want to get I, I want to get to the defense with this too as well where you know, look, so this has been and, and here's what's funny about it too is like, you know, when I contacted you what was it maybe like a week ago? I sent uh, sent over some topics of what I was thinking about, and at my time, in, in the moment, I was like, "So the White Sox have a strikeout heavy staff, you know, big power arms in the bullpen, and if you get Lynn, Giolito, Cease, and Kopech together in one rotation, now all of a sudden, I think you're can a lot of guys, and I think the maybe the thing that White Sox fans need to pay attention to, and it's already borne itself out, but." A high strikeout staff can maybe cover up some of defensive uh, deficiencies that maybe a particular team has. So when I started having this theory, and I sent it over to you guys, uh, what did we did? We booted the ball around. Uh, you know what I mean? And committed four errors that night against the Guardians. And I think what I, I I don't know what our number is right now. I think we have twenty six, twenty seven errors in the first thirty games. So you're a White Sox fan. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I oh, sorry. Yeah. I just didn't know. Oh, no, no. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I, I was actually I'm actually raised both. But no, I mean, uh, uh, no, no. I'm a hardcore White Sox fan ever since uh, I was a little kid. And so, like, my question is, is there any way to improve this team defensively? I mean, this has been going on since Ricky Renteria. So in my opinion, this is not a Tony La Russa problem. These have just been the same guys that we've had on our team for, what, two, three years now. 
What do we do about the defense? Because let's be honest, no one likes to talk about it because it's not sexy, but that is kind of the stuff that separates you from being a World Series contender and being a pretender. I think that's funny in the email that you sent is like, if it wasn't for the defense, the way you worded it is like, if it wasn't for the defense, would this be um, a World Series caliber team? And I was like, well, there's a flaw in that question. (laughs) (laughs) I think they're a playoff caliber team. I don't know if they're a World Series caliber team with or without the defense. But yeah, it's it's 100% a problem. And I mean, the biggest offender has obviously been Tim Anderson. And Steve Stone was like tweeting out recently of like, it'll get better. And I don't know if that's necessarily just like water pushing or if it's true, but in my heart, like, I just, I want it to be true, right? Like Tim Anderson has, ever since he's been in the league, has improved his defense. And this year has been a major step back. So if the rest of the year goes on and he really doesn't have that many errors and he improves, that wouldn't surprise me either. But if he keeps putting the ball around, as you keep mentioning, then that also wouldn't surprise me either. And I don't know how you fix it. It's, I think Tim Anderson very much knows that it's an issue, right? He very much knows that he has a lot of errors and that's not a part of his game and that he needs to improve. I have no doubt that Tim Anderson is practicing taking grounders, but will that lead to increased success? I don't know. I will say, uh, Brandon, this is kind of based on like brief like tweets that I saw, but like when the White Sox put out an elite, their best defense, meaning their outfield is uh, Adam Engel, AJ Pollock, and Luis Roberts, by far and away their best three defenders, mm-hmm. and Josh Harrison at second base, which is, I, he's a better defender than. Lurie, I don't want to say he's a, the, a better defender than Mendick, who I actually think is quite good. Um, but, you know what I mean? He's, he's clearly the better defender of the two starting basemen who should be starting every day. And when they put out those, all those guys, the Sox have done quite well in this small sample size. So I do wonder if part of the reason of just having good defense and Jake Berger has now been sent down and Yuan Mankata, who's an elite defender, is right. now in the rotation. So should it improve i hope uh how to fix it i have no idea and also now we're going to get into issues where when andrew vaughn comes back he's 100 percent going to be playing in the defense in the outfield in some games and when him and eloy come back there's going to be instances where vaughn plays right and eloy plays left and that's a, you know hopefully in theory a good offensive output Luis going like this though you know what I mean? robert's gonna get a workout that day yeah get that get that cardio going look and, and, he, and i think and, and there is no magic ball with this right because i think it's just some guys just have to play better like in theory all these points that you're mentioning make a lot of sense right where uh mancada is strong in the corner you got a good i mean reese mcguire pretty much is our starting catcher now right i mean can we all sort of say that i mean Grandal is kind of the guy who does one or two a week behind the plate. Am, am I wrong? You're not wrong, but I'm, I'm like not happy about it. And yeah, I'm a big Reese McGuire fan. I really love his defense behind the plate. He does, in theory, I think, make the team better. And if everyone's hitting, you should be able to live with his bad bat because he makes up for it with his defense and his, his framing and his ability to throw runners. 
but it I'm just like I, I let her aside just because like I think Larusa made a comment of like uh we're trying to keep Grandal healthy for later in the season, so that's why Reese is starting more games and it's like okay. what? I mean, okay. He's playing like five games a week though, man. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of it's kind of at the point now where Grandal is our DH and he takes maybe the Sunday matinees uh, behind the plate. It's kind of where it's going a little bit. And, and, and maybe, you know, McGuire behind the plate, Luis Robert in center field. I think Harrison's solid. I mean, I mean, we're really kind of just nailing it. It really does come down to Tim Anderson and Tim Anderson just needs to play better. I'm personally a really big proponent of if you do want to be a contender, if you do want to win a world series of all the defensive spots in the field, Shortstop is so important. I think we vastly underrated the, the, the play of Juan Uribe at times, or at least that left side of Uribe and Joe Creedy in that playoff run. And look, White Sox fans get really mad when I say this, so I hope I don't upset you. I sometimes ask myself questions if long-term Tim Anderson is a shortstop on a World Series contending team. I love him as a player. He's an MVP candidate, don't get me wrong, but I always have questions with him defensively. You know, coming into 2021, I would have disagreed with you. For but for most of his career, right? Most of his career, he that was a valid question, right? Should he move to center field? And we asked the Yankees, not the Yankees, but people who weren't Yankees fans who are unbiased were like, should Derek Jeter have moved to center field? Hundred percent Derek Jeter should have moved when Alex Rodriguez came. Derek Derek Jeter was one of the most overrated defensive shortstops of all time. I mean, he made one great play and then all of a sudden he's winning gold gloves, gold gloves stolen from our Leslie Ramirez one year. Um, but b- before coming into this year, I would have been like, no, Tim Anderson is good. Like Tim Anderson has proven himself. Tim Anderson has gotten better and better every year. <laughs> Tim Anderson's defense was not on my bingo check card of like things I was worried about. And now yeah, and, it is. It's, but it's, it, it is, it's a problem. It's very obviously a problem. And I, like I said, I don't know what the solution is, but he knows it's a problem. And I'm just, I'm hoping it's practice. And, you know, I also think I could have sworn this was a headline that I scrolled past on Twitter. So this might be completely off base, but I could have sworn someone did a, a research of like the den ball is also affecting infield errors as well. So I know if that's true, maybe that's a factor, but it's still no excuse for this many errors that Tim Anderson has had. And you're like going back to that 05 team, like World Series caliber teams, generally speaking, do the little things well. That 05 team obviously had its flaws, but it did a lot of little things very, very well. And overall, I find this 2022 team very sloppy in lots of places. Yeah, I don't have it in front of me, but you're totally right. If you look back at, let's just, pretend and let's just say the last 17 or 18 world series winners i guarantee you at least 13 or 14 of those times they have elite defensive play at shortstop and look here's the thing we got 130 games to go and let's like let's let's put something on tim anderson's plate real quick i mean the dude every single year gets better every single year he continues to grind i mean i think the guy truly is a superstar so for me to think that this is something that can't be fixed you know, I mean, a lot of this stuff has been routine plays. He struggled a little bit moving to his right on some ground balls. The fact that he can't clean that up and play great shortstop the rest of the way, I think it's totally possible. I really do. But it is a huge issue right now. And for a team that is, a yeah, trying to get healthy and for a team that maybe doesn't have the offensive consistency right now, 
booting the ball around the park, it's just been a huge problem. I mean, I'm right there with you with the corner and outfield spots. I mean, down the line is going to be tough all year. I mean, the gaps, I think Luis is going to be able to cover up a lot of stuff. But some of that down the line things, and you, you've seen it on some short fly balls with Andrew Vaughn. He just can't track it the right way, or he doesn't have the speed to get there. Those balls are just dropping in. I, that might have to be something we're just going to have to live with this year. Yeah, it's and again, that's why I'm not so like super bummed about Eloy's injury. Again, I don't wish injury on him. I want his bat to be awesome and in the lineup. But if Gavin Sheets is hitting the ball well, then could you live with, you know, um, either AJ Pollock or Adam Ingle in one corner, Vaughn in another corner, and then Sheets and Vaughn get their both bats in the lineup and Sheets the H. Not ideal. Um, but not the end of the world. It's just those days where Eloy and Vaughn are healthy and are both playing the outfield are days where I'm just going to be like, Ugh. those are the days that I'm like, I let's hit some home runs because you're good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and talk, let's bring up another player who I feel like in the offseason became a kind of a polarizing topic for White Sox fans, and he just returned to the lineup and he hit a home run last night. Uh, I just want to get your take on Yo Moncada. Um, you know, are you happy with – the progression of his career? Have you expected more? Um, have we kind of maybe also, is it possible to say, have we underrated Yohan Mankata's impact as a switch hitting guy who plays great defense and can get on base? Some things that, you know, a lot of other White Sox players in this lineup can't really do as well. Do you, I don't know how hard, do you, are you familiar with like White Sox Twitter's take on Yohan Mankata? And uh, so, I mean, so he, they, the, for, if I can just say the shorthand feels like we traded Chris Sale for this guy. He was supposed to be the first superstar. He is the first guy. He's the first pick of the rebuild, and he should be hitting 35 bombs a year, and he's not hitting 35 bombs a year. And they keep going back to the season when he hit 315, and they think they wanted that every single year, and now they're not getting it. Am, am, am I missing, or yeah. am I – that feels like that's kind but of it. I do think that's some of it. And the people who think that like he needs to be this immediate – or he needs to be a super duper star, I think is the silliest thing in the world. But to me last year, I did have criticisms of it, but my criticisms was it was mainly in the first half. So at the first half of the 2021 season, his slugging began with a three, which for someone like him, what he showed was disappointing to me. Now it didn't end up that way. So silly me for, that criticism, he did show more power. But so last year, which is obviously what we've mostly seen from him, he definitely looked at too many fastballs, especially for a called third strike. I think he only had one home run off of a fastball, which is very frustrating because fastball should be the one pitch he's able to hit. But at the same time, he was literally the third best third baseman per F war. So the fact that like we're like this is nitpicks. He's an elite defender and he's elite at getting on base. And if that's quote unquote it, great. That's awesome. Um, I do wonder now, looking at 2019 with that juice ball, were those home run numbers inflated? Was that really not truly what Yoan Mercado was? But did he just get a little bit of benefit of the ball? And if that's the case then this year is going to be kind of a bummer for people who like me who are criticizing his power because in theory, that would mean he's only going to hit like 10 home runs. Now, in his first year back, he hits a tying three-run bomb. 
So who knows? But if 2021 Yohan Mankata is what we're getting in 2022, and we're never going to see 2019 Yohan Mankata ever again, that's not the end of the world by any stretch of the imagination. And if that is not, and if you think, okay, well, we traded away a Cy Young worthy Chris Sale for this, okay, that's awesome. He's an awesome player. And if you want to argue whether he's better than Rafael Devers, then, you know, go blue in the face arguing that. I don't care. But he's a guy I love at the top of the lineup. He can take pitches. He can get on base. He can get a single. Um, he plays awesome defense. And if there's power along with that, to me, that's gravy. Yeah, uh, I think I think they – what was the other rumor, too, that they originally wanted Bogarts, too, as well? I think that's other something that they always kind of look what? at. But keep in mind, we got Kopik in that deal, too, as well, which I always kind of really – I find really funny that we put all this central focus on Mankata. I know Kopik hasn't really given us a lot, you know, in a White Sox uniform up until last year, so I do understand maybe that's why a lot of the focus is going to Mankata. But, man, I'm kind of with you. You know, give me a 370 OBP. Give me 30 doubles. I don't even really care what the home run numbers are. And honestly, he's kind of the ideal number two. I, I get why we, we hit Luis Robert in the number two hole. Um, and I guess you could probably have an argument about interchanging them. I kind of think Mankata is the perfect number two hitter for this lineup. And I think those are the kind of numbers that are in line with someone that could be an above average, if not you know close to uh, elite player that part in the lineup. It is weird. So I like wrote an article this offseason about roster construction. And it was mainly, you know, I'm wearing my TA hat and I'm talking a lot of shit about TA. Uh, and well, I don't. We, we, yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. Dude, he's a superstar. He's 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 an MVP. I mean, let's be real. But yeah. we are we, we do want more from him, I think, is kind of what it is. But it, it is a weird argument of should he be leading off? And if he's not, I do think. I mean, that's we can have that discussion maybe at a different day. It's also not going to happen, so it's a moot point. But like, if he's not going to lead off, I'm totally fine with Moncada leading off. It's now a weird roster construction argument where if TA leads off, who do you want number two? And I ultimately, I don't think it matters if like Yoan Moncada is going to be good and Luis Roberts going to be good. But right now, like Roberts struggling, and I think that's part of the reason that Tony's putting him down a little bit lower in the lineup to give him a little bit more protection, I suspect. I mean, you have protection at two, so maybe, I don't know. But if, you know, the lineup for the rest of the year is uh, Robert three or four, because, you know, we'll see how Jose does, and Moncada's two, I, I don't think we'll complain, especially if Moncada's going to put up a 375 on base. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my question for you, and we're kind of uh, tiptoeing around about it a little bit, is uh, uh, what is your biggest if, – if you could have a criticism or a gripe with White Sox fans on Twitter, what is the one thing that you consistently see from this fan base on Twitter that kind of just has you constantly shaking your head? I will say that a lot of the dumb arguments that I hear on Twitter – come from a very small group of people who tend to act in bad faith often. Like there's a group of people, especially with the Moncada stuff, who I think have consistently bad takes to the point where I don't like it. I do think part of the reason that we're arguing Moncada is there's a couple of people that have this really dumb bad take. And then there's 98% that defend Moncada because we're acting in response to these people who are just kind of being like a little bit of edge lords, um, 
<laughs> so I don't, I don't know. I don't really have any, like, there's also, I, I feel like I'm at the point where there's a lot of people that I respect. There's people I have fun interacting with. And then there's people generally that like, there's a reason I don't follow them or have them muted. And so I think generally speaking, it's fine. I think some of the bullpen decisions that people get angry about, I think maybe we need to chill a little bit, especially those bullpen decisions lead to wins. Um, I get a bad process with a good result is still a bad process, but I like sometimes like the, so specifically with how the White Sox are handling Kendall Graveman, who I think is an elite setup guy, but there was a stretch where I was like, is he injured? Why isn't he pitching right now? This is a spot where Kendall Graveman should be pitching. And there's a spot, I think Matt Foster came in and did awesome or Jose Ruiz came in and did just fine. It's like, okay. Maybe we need to chill about why, like, not argue why Kendall wasn't there. And then it came out a couple of days later where he's like, we kind of need to chill with my workload. Like, the fact that that stretch where um, Hendricks was, like, closing for five straight games is like, we're going to, his arm's going to fall off. We don't want that to happen to Kendall Graham. Like, we want his arm to be healthy. And in theory, we should have the bullpen to make up for those stretches where Kendall Graveman needs to chill for a week, right? Now, are there bigger arguments? I think luckily so far we're good. I just think um, ultimately there's just a lot of players that need to perform better. Like, yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm kind of curious. Like the one that um, – now, look, I it doesn't mean that he's not uh, immune from criticism. Right. I mean, I think we all are. And I definitely can go on a nice little rant about him. But the, what we kind of do, I, I feel like White Sox fans on Twitter a little bit. Um, we take a lot of the things that are kind of known about this team that maybe be a, defen- a deficiency, maybe like a defense or something like that. And they put it on La Russa. Um, and I, I find that one to be kind of sometimes lazy and easy because there are some things that we can definitely criticize. Namely, you know, I know a lot of people were up in arms last night about going with Tanner Banks, a lefty versus Stanton. Uh, it didn't work out, by the way. Um, but again, I, I don't know. I'm kind of curious. There's there's kind of a Dow. Uh, there's kind of a Dow mentality when it comes to bullpens a little bit. And you're speaking to it about Kendall Graveman. You know, the season is early. If the guy needs to get backed off for a day or two, White Sox fans just might not know it, and just the team is going to do what it has to do. If there was a situation in late September and we didn't see Kendall Graveman for six days, we'd be asking more questions, right? Hundred percent. Yeah. Um. It is so like the the argument that I've seen about the hitting coach Frank Minichino is I think an interesting one because mm-hmm. there's a lot of like the team does a lot of stuff on offense super poorly. They are literally last in the league in walks. They're first in the league in swinging at the first pitch. Um, I wrote down a whole bunch, but like there's a lot of stuff on offense that are they're super super sloppy. And I wish it'd get better. And then now there's reports that like, you know, Minishino is like telling the guys to do it. And the guys are like, well, this is up to us. And ultimately we need to execute. That one, I think gets tougher. Whereas where does the lay, where does the blame lie for how future this offense and so many players have been in these first like 30 games? Yeah, you know, sometimes, yeah, and it's, it's a little bit of a, 
a little bit of a chicken in the egg, right? I mean, sometimes these guys just are who they are, and it turns a little bit more into the construction of this team as a whole. I mean, you know, and that's going to be a really interesting situation moving forward, I think, into the later months of the summer is when you do have a lineup that's filled with whether it is a Sheets or an Alloy or a Luis Robert or a guy like Tim Anderson. These are guys that like to swing early in the count, right? And they like to, you know, get their pitch a little bit early on. Are there going to be those moments where they actually do the right thing and try and fundamentally either move runners over, get a guy in, work a count, and do what's necessary? And it might just be more the makeup of the personality of the lineup more than the makeup of the personality of the, the, the hitting coach. Yeah, I think it's frustrating to see a guy like Tim Anderson who his numbers show he's actually better when he takes the first pitch. Mm-hmm. At the time, seeing him, you know, the game's up one nothing because he hit a first pitch home run out of the ballpark is awesome. So someone like Tim Anderson, like Tim Anderson is not going to change his game. Like I guarantee you, you can show him like all the statistics about like, Hey, by the way, here's like what your batting average is when you just take the first pitch and he's like, okay, that's cool. And he'll ignore it. He sees like a fastball and he's just he'll hit it up. Um, the, um, I can't remember who the shortstop was during the A's money ball season. It's escaping me. Well, that was um, Tejada. Yes. So Miguel Tejada. Uh-huh. So I the Oakland A's and money ball is like preaching to their team, patience, get on base. And apparently Billy Bean was like, we could show this to Miguel Tejada and he wouldn't care. And he won the MVP that year. So I think so. Well, yeah. Real quick. Even- isn't it hilarious that that movie, that movie specifically is like, they did it with a group of nobodies. It's like, oh, yeah, uh, Miguel Tejada was the AL MVP that year. And, oh, yeah, you might have lost Giambi and uh, Isringhausen or whatever, but uh, you still had guys uh, – you still had your uh, Hudsons and your Zitos. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, and, and the, like, they still had amazing pitching, and they still had an AL MVP. It's just like, okay, I guess they did it. You know, they had a low budget, but – Zito won the Cy Young that year too. Yes. Yeah, so come on. Uh, how do they do it? Oh. I'll, I'll I'll defend Moneyball to the death. It's like one of my favorite movies. It's my favorite. Movie. I I love it too, but just like the conceit that you know that the, it was a team, it was a yeah. team of just uh, the worst players possible, and all they had to do was just get on base. There was some, there is some truth to that, but they did they did casually ignore that uh, Tejada and and the the big three were still in that rotation. Yeah, like Tejada's like mentioned once. I don't think Eric Chavez is mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but David Justice, though, X Factor. Our, our Jermaine Dye was on that team who was solid for him. He was, and again, yeah. He had, like best rotation in baseball. Yeah, and, and thankfully, what he hit that ball off his leg, and he had that fracture in his leg. Jermaine Dye, and they let him. They let him walk, and that's how he became a uh, future White Sox hero. So, our, 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 yeah, our gain on that. Oh man, I love JD. Uh, final question here for Adam Kaplan here. Adam Kaplan on right, Sox. I got to Jermaine Dye bobblehead dog I got showing in the background. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a big uh, I'm not a big fan geek, but I saw him like at a grocery store once, and I like I definitely was just like, I love you, man. Like, I just, <laughs> and I'm not really like that, but it's man, it's just J, JD, man, World Series MVP. Uh, my final one for you, um, Adam Kaplan here on uh, Sox thirty with Sox thirty fifth here on Bet on Chicago. Um, as it stands right now, I mean, it is still early. We are still in the middle of May. But uh, is there one team in the AL Central right now that probably scares you the most or maybe one that we're not thinking about that says, hey, you know, watch out. They could still be uh, 
They could give us a hard time this year. So I will never not be afraid of the Twins and the Guardians. Like even last year, where the White Sox like clearly were running away with the division, I've seen it so many times. In particular, 2006, where it's like, oh my God, Cleveland is on our butt, and they're gonna overtake us. And even when like we're ten games up, I'm like, it's metal. Like I won't, my butt will unclench when we actually clinch. Um, But they, but in. I mean, despite our history of them both like kind of being White Sox killers, they both do scare me a little bit. So Cleveland has one of the best batting averages in baseball. And if the baseball is going to be dead in and they have an, a, like one of the best abilities in the majors this year to keep hitting the ball, then that's going to be a problem in that rotation. If it stays healthy, which it just it wasn't last year, you know, they still have, um, I was going to say Justin Bieber. They still have Shane Bieber, who's awesome. They have Tristan McKenzie. Zach Plesak is still solid. Like mm-hmm. that rotation is good. The back end of that bullpen is good. And if they can just, and if they're going to keep up hitting the ball, like just even without power, then that scares me. And Minnesota, um, again, they re, they just bought a whole new uh, rotation and they're not sexy guys, but Minnesota has this ability to get these pitchers on the cheap and to do well. And if Buxton, which is going to be a huge if, uh, stays healthy and him and Correa at the top of that lineup, you know, can they win games by pitching and just eking out a couple runs? I, I think they can. And I don't know how much of that is that we, they literally both teams swept us this year. Um, some of that is just my pessimism of, the White Sox right now, but you know, um, if they're up four games on both of them, by the time it's the all-star break, you know, maybe I'll feel a little bit better for as good as those teams are like the White Sox, I think have the same record as Cleveland are only like two or three games behind Minnesota. So like as bad as the White Sox are, it's not even close to being over, but they both do scare me a little bit. And Part of that just my PS my PTSD of being a White Sox fan for 10, 20 years. No, man, it make, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, when I did a, a preview pod for the season preview, I had one of the guests uh, really build up the Tigers, and I was like, dude, no, like, come on, no, don't worry about the Tigers. Maybe in a couple of years or something like that, but don't worry about them right now. I think you know you're making great points, and I think probably where it lands for me is I think I'm with you. I think the Twins are probably going to long term be the chief competitor for the AL Central. But I will say that I think playing the Indians is maybe the worst matchup for the White Sox. Um, That rotation in itself, uh, I think that rotation is really good. Um, Historically, you know, Jose Abreu does not hit well against the Cleveland Indians, and he doesn't hit well against the Cleveland. We got to say Guardians now. Oh, God. That's right. Good Lord. The Washington Commies, the Washington Commanders. Uh, but no, yeah, you're right, man. Uh, excuse me. And thank you for correcting me because I do need to continue to, to do that moving forward because it's going to be like that forever. Uh, but, you know, the, the Guardians, you know, a lot of not great splits uh, for our White Sox hitters against the Guardians in past games. And I just think they're that tough, pesky out that maybe when we need a win, we, we lose that two to one game. Um I am curious, though, uh, the, the offense is interesting because I really did think coming into the season that their offense was was really terrible. And then all of a sudden you got guys like Naylor, 
uh, putting up eight RBIs after the eighth inning. You guys have got Owen Miller right now who's still hitting, I don't know, well over 300. Uh, let's see if those guys come back to earth a little bit, right? Um, right. I'm kind of I'm kind of curious. I think the Indians are going to be the the ones that we really can st- continue to struggle. Because wait, what's our division record still? Is it still like two and three and ten or something? It's not good. We've only won three. Oh no, we've won four. We have one against the Guardians, one against the Royals, and two against Detroit. Yeah. Wow. Not good. Got to be better. I'm I'm with you on Detroit, where I saw the Javier Baez signing. I'm like. He's not good, guys. I mean, feel free to have him. Like, I was legit, if they got Carlos Correa, I would be legit worried. When they got Javi Baez, I'm like, nice, good, good for you. I hope, I hope you like your highlight reel being 20 games under. Well, well, yeah, and then, and then, what was it? The opening series, uh, watching poor Spencer Torkelson handle pop flies and foul territory. I was like, you know what? I think this is going to be fine for a year. Uh, I don't think this team. I don't think this Tigers team is ready. I don't think the White Sox need to worry about them just yet. I'm I'm with you. And uh, like uh, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez was like one of their big um, rotation guys. I'm like, okay, well, okay. yeah, yeah, like four or five, four point five ERA in Boston. I'm sure that's all of a sudden going to drop yeah. drastically. You guys, I mean, He's an innings horse. I'm like, okay. We can joke about Spencer Torkelson right now. He's gonna friggin' hit like twenty bombs against us in the game. Like he's he's gonna be good. I think we got a little bit lucky that we got him in the first series, but uh, yeah, no, that's I'm, what I'm saying. We gotta get our we gotta get our shivs in now, man. Because I'm yeah. with you. In a couple of years, I think he's gonna be uh, probably one of the better premier hitters in the AL Central. Hundred percent. Uh, Adam Kaplan here on Bet on Chicago, man. Thank you so much for hopping on the pod. Uh, he's doing great work over at Sox 35th, but that's not all. I, I saw also in your Twitter feed you have a couple other shows and stuff, so feel free to plug. Obviously, just not your, just your social handles, but anything else you have going on so the audience listening right now can check out some more of your great content. Yeah, so I had computer issues, so I was doing this on my phone, so I'm sorry for me moving and shaking around. My arm's getting a little tired. Thank you for, for putting up with me. Um, my, my Twitter handle is at Millennial Socks. Uh, I go on, you know, I also write on Socks on 35th at Millennial Socks. Um, I'm a Millennial Socks fan. I don't have my real name. Um, but I also, I co-host a, a movie podcast every week called The Hookup on Film. Uh, if you like movies, check us out. The Twitter handle for that is at Hookup18. Check it out. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Yeah, Adam, thank you so much for taking the time, man. And look, man, it's a long baseball season. Uh, I'd love to have you back. And uh, best of luck to you. Yeah, dude, if you ever need a guest for the for the movie pods, uh, I, I get down. I get down on that I'm, pretty hard, too, as well. Honestly, so if you ever need somebody, hit me up. You know, we, we totally are looking for guests. I'll, uh, I'll send you the, the email. Let me know. Let me know. Yeah, Awesome. Today's episode of Bet on Chicago with Joy Christopoulos was presented by BetOnline.ag. A 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, so make sure you go ahead and check that out. Also, I am pairing up and partnering right now with Baseball Lifestyle 101. You go to bl101.com. They have some amazing baseball apparel going on right now, and I'm hooking up with them. So promo code Joey Sports Guy J O E Y Sports Guy. Head on there. They're going to unlock tons of great deals if you use that promo code, so please make sure you check that out. Thank you so much for checking out this pod. We're done for the week, but we're going to be back next week with plenty more great stuff, including my exclusive interview with Josh Shapiro from Baseball Lifestyle 101, so make sure you check that out. Until then, be well, be safe. Please be good to each other, and remember, when in doubt, always bet on Chicago. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.